Men, if you call every man your home for getting in, getting healthy, getting strong, and getting going, then we have a special ask for you. We need men like you to stand in the gap with us as we take back territory for God's kingdom with our new giving campaign. We're calling it the 12 for 12 giving campaign. And all it takes is $12 a month for 12 months. Now your commitment and donation will help us reach our 20 city goal with our Dangerous Good Conference in 2021. And we can't do this without your support. Now, if you haven't noticed, every man is on the move and we've been able to build an army of strong men that are choosing Jesus over the world. You know why? That's because of people like you that help our ministry thrive, especially in these difficult times. So will you join us and commit to donating $12 for 12 months? Every dollar equals change, not only in the men, but also change for the women, children, and communities connected to these men. Thank you in advance for your support and God bless. Welcome to the Men's Global Livestream. If you have a Bible, you're gonna to want to hold a spot in Philippians chapter three. We are in the fourth part of a series we're calling Resolve. And when you resolve to do anything, it means that you determine and you decide. You resolve to do something. And what we're doing in this series is we're acknowledging that in life, much of it is spent waiting for the next thing. We're waiting for someone to change. We're waiting for something to resolve. We're waiting for some chapter to unfold. And while we wait, we have to resolve to seek God, to obey God, and trust God. And the Bible calls that waiting on God. And so through parts one, two, and three, that's what we have been talking about. And we're studying men who waited well. In part one, we looked at Daniel, and we learned from how he waited on God, sought God, trusted God, and obeyed God while he was waiting for the next chapter to unfold. We looked at David, who was brought from watching sheep to working in the king's palace to having to go into the wilderness chased by a psycho king. And that time of waiting for David and, and what he did and what he modeled. And then last week, we look at my personal favorite, who is Joseph, who was thrown into slavery by his family, shipped off to Egypt, put in prison for 13 years, but he had a promise from God. But he had to wait on the fulfillment of that promise. And now in part four, we're gonna look at also one of the giants in the Bible but we see really that he's just like you and me. We're gonna look at the apostle, Paul. And so we're gonna do what we have done in the first three parts. What we're gonna do is we're gonna get God's mind on the whole topic of resolving to wait on God. So we're just gonna look at that generally, get his mind on that, and uh, what is going on while we wait. Then we're gonna highlight a core theme right, out of it on waiting, resolving to wait on God well. And then we're gonna observe Paul, all right? We're gonna see how he waited in this particular season of his life and uh, apply that personally to our lives. And so if you have the, the notes, which you can download uh, right there on the page, you can press the download notes and you can get those. If you have your notes, uh, you'll see at the top of your notes uh, some verses from Psalm 62. Right, so let's get started in our study. 
Psalm 62, verses 1 and 2 and 5. God, the one and only, I'll wait as long as he says. Everything I need comes from him, so why not? He's solid rock under my feet, breathing room for my soul, an impregnable castle. I'm set for life. God, the one and only, I'll wait as long as he says. Everything I hope for comes from him, so why not? I love the message translation of Psalm 62 because it, it shows us that when you're in the waiting position versus when your transition moment comes, it forces you to see some new things and, some rec and to recognize some new things with God. And the first thing that waiting recognizes is God's majesty in my life. God's majesty. You notice that the psalmist says, God, the one and only, right? That's positional. It acknowledges God's majesty. In other words, that, that God's first, that God's the high and lofty one. There's only one God. And in this situation, I have to acknowledge that and recognize that while I am waiting. Secondly, waiting recognizes God's authority in my life. Notice in the passage that the psalmist says, God, the one and only, I'll wait, listen, as long as he says, right? That's a, that's a statement of someone's authority in your life. So when we're in the waiting position versus when we're transitioning positively to the next chapter of life, we're recognizing that God is first. We're recognizing God's authority, right? We'll wait as long as he says, because he positionally is first. Third, waiting recognizes God's wisdom in my life. Write that down. When we're in the waiting position versus a transition moment, we're wondering who's wiser. Gosh, you know, God's first. God has authority in my life. And guess what? God is wise in my life. He knows more. And he's up to something in that wisdom that is better than my wisdom and my need to move things along. Notice the language, right? Everything I need comes from him. Notice not everything I want comes from him. In God's wisdom, he doesn't give us what we want, when we want it, and in the form we want it. If in his wisdom, that's not good for us. So waiting recognizes God's majesty, God's authority, God's wisdom in my life. Fourth, waiting recognizes God's sovereignty in my life. Notice this language. He's solid rock under my feet. Do you get the picture? It's a picture of control versus slipping. When your feet are on solid rock, you're under control. The situation is being controlled versus slipping. And then the psalmist says, breathing room for my soul. Your insides are solid, right? An impregnable castle, all right? That means I'm safe. Now, this psalm teaches us why there's safety in God's sovereignty. Waiting recognizes that. It's like, okay, things are happening, might not be happening on my time, but God's first, God has authority, God's wise. Oh, and God's in control, right? I want us to say that together, God's in control. Yeah, we have to tell ourselves that many times while we're waiting on the Lord, that 
He's above, he's bigger, he has a plan, he's wise, and he is capable of doing whatever he wants. The Bible says what God opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. So if God wants something to happen, it's gonna happen. And so we rest in that knowledge that if he wants something to happen or wants you to transition or wants that situation to end, not a problem. So we wait in a sovereign, on a sovereign God. Fifth, waiting recognizes God's generosity in my life. Notice uh, the language. Everything I hope for comes from him. So just by way of review, when you're in the waiting position versus when your problem is resolving or you're in transition or what you hope for is unfolding, we're forced to see and recognize some things about God, that he's first, that he's in charge, that he's wise, that he's in control, and his nature is generous. So if there is a delay from a generous God, that means there's purpose behind it because God wants to give us good things. And so I love this Psalm because it teaches us that waiting help us, helps us to get a new vision of who God is or to remind us of who God is. So here's your, your core theme uh, coming out of it and what we see happening with the psalmist as he waits. Waiting well is, write this down, shifting the load from me to God. You notice that the psalmist is, is waiting, the man of God is waiting, but he's shifting inwardly the situation over to God the God who's first in everything, the God who has authority over his life, the God who is wise, all wise, infinitely wise, the God who's sovereign and the God who's generous. And so he's shifting and as he's shifting the load onto God, guess what happens? His feet are on solid rock. He's got traction and that's what God wants for you right now. And maybe that's a word that you need to receive, all right? In your feelings and in your circumstances, the ground might be shifting, but when we get a clear vision of God, our life in God reflects our view of God. And God is first positionally. God has authority in your life. God's in control. God is wise and God is generous. God's saying, I'm with you. That's who I am and I am am with you. So that's what the Lord's saying. We've got to shift the load. Look what the psalmist says in Psalm 33, 20. He says this, our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. See that shift where on a man's insides, there's a lot of emotions, there's a lot of thoughts, uh, there's a lot of affections, there's a lot of longings and desires. And as we're waiting for life to unfold, waiting for the next thing to happen, resolve, waiting to be delivered out of a situation, or waiting for someone to change maybe, right? Our body has to show up to life. Our soul is waiting on God. Our body has to continue to get up and go to work. Our body has to get to get, to get up and continue to trust the Lord and seek the Lord and obey the Lord. We gotta serve people. We have to show up to our lives, but our soul, it's waiting on God. And we know because of all the things that we recognize about God that we just talked about, that he's our help and he's our shield, all right? So um, there's, some, there's some of God's mind on what he's up to right now while we're waiting. So let's flip the page 
and let's look at the man of God, Paul. And on the notes, it says, Paul, bad decision, hard lesson, and a new vision. Now, let me give you some context before we roll the film on this season of Paul's life. God's will at this season of his life was for Paul to go to Spain, right? We know that from the book of Romans chapter 15, but Paul's desire, all right, now we have desires in conflict. God wants Paul to go to Spain. Paul has this thing inside where like, I really need to be in Jerusalem. And Paul is warned by God three different times by the Holy Spirit, by another man of God who gets a prophetic word for him, and by a group of people, don't go. In fact, uh, the, the man of God who gives Paul a prophetic word takes off his belt and wraps himself in it and says, if you go to Jerusalem, they're gonna take this belt and they're gonna arrest you and godless people are gonna take control of your life. So what does Paul do? He does what a lot of us do. He is still stubborn and he thinks that it's God's plan, even though he's been warned three times by the Holy Spirit, by another man of God, and by a group of people, don't go, he still goes to Jerusalem. And of course, when he goes to Jerusalem, uh, once there, he gets some bad advice, right? He compromises his position on who God is and his doctrine, and because of that decision, he spends the next four years in prison where, because he waited well, he rebounds and he writes the book of Philippians and the book of Ephesians and the book of Colossians and Philemon, and that's where we're picking up this story where because of a stubborn and bad decision, Paul has bought for himself a divine waiting room, and we're going to see how and I know you're going to understand what this means, shift happens, all right? A shift in his perspective, and that's really what we're interested in here because that's what we need while we're waiting is we need a shift in our perspective. Well, let's get a bumper sticker that's, that says that shift happens. But we're going to look at the, some things that Paul really had a shift, shift in, and then uh, let's look at the first one right now. And the first thing that you see happening while Paul is in this divine waiting room, is that he keeps advancing spiritually. Write that down. Keep advancing spiritually. When you're in a position where you have to wait for something to unfold or you're waiting for something to happen, one thing that you should be doing while you're waiting is keep advancing spiritually. Look at what Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, verses 10 through 12. Now remember, this is a prison epistle right after he made this bad decision that put him in the waiting room. He says this, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. Not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Now, I want you to say uh, three observations with me that come from the passage. Say, no Christ, no power, become like him. No Christ, no power, right, know it, 
and become like him. That's advancing spiritually. As Paul has made a decision that has created this delay and waiting room in his life of his own making, God's still with him and God's still at work. And while Paul is waiting for the next thing to happen, he keeps advancing spiritually. What does it look like? He says, I want to know Christ. I want to know his power and I want to become like him. Now in the text, it says, I haven't obtained all of that or already arrived at my goal, but listen to what he says. But I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. What's he saying? He's saying, I wanna get everything out of the relationship with Jesus that Jesus came to give me. And he identified those three things. To know Jesus, to know his power, the power of the resurrection, that power, and to become like him. So what is what do we do when we're, 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 we're waiting? Well, we got to resolve, men, to keep knowing Christ and to know his power and to become like him. Now, the Bible talks a lot about this, how um, our job, no matter where we are, no matter what our circumstances are, we're in this posture of learning and adding to our faith, where our faith might start off here, but we're always adding something adding different things that advance us spiritually. And talks about this in 2 Peter 1, verses 5 through 8. Listen to the language, all right? Listen to the energy language in particular. 1 Peter 1, 5 through 8. Make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. So do you see the dynamic that's happening? You have the encouragement to the believer, no matter what's going on in their lives, to make every effort keep adding to their faith. And then you have a nice uh, list of qualities to add to your faith. And the goal is being effective and being productive versus what? Being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. So wherever you are, whatever situation you're waiting for, whatever um, event that you're waiting for to unfold, Put, all, put that all out there, you should be advancing spiritually no matter what's going on in your life. So that's the first thing that we see from Paul. He made a bad decision. That bad decision put him into God's waiting room. While he's in God's waiting room, he's going to keep advancing spiritually. Secondly, uh, keep focusing on God's future. Now, why is it important uh, to keep focusing on God's future? Because when you make a bad decision, and you experience the consequence of a bad decision, and now you're kinda, your life is sort of put on hold because of a decision that you made, you could, listen, you could obsess over that mistake or failure. And you could think about that more than you could think about the reality that God is with you, God is at work, and God still has a future for you. And I know that I'm speaking to some of you right now. You've made choices that have put you into some consequences that 
are now, you're now waiting on those consequences to sort of run their course and for a new chapter to begin, all right? And you could think a lot about the mistake you made that put you there versus focusing on God's presence and God's purpose and God's future that he has for you, not in the absence of where you are, but in the middle of what you are. And that's what Paul does. Listen to what he says. We're just going to go right to the next verses. All right, we're going to go from verses 10 through 12 to Philippians 3, 13 and 14. Listen to what he says. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, listen in, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. What is Paul saying? He's saying that I am not defined by this mistake. You know what happens a lot, especially with men, because we we take a lot of pride in our image and our reputation, and we try not to make mistakes. No man wants to make them, but we make them, all right? But then what we do a lot of times is we let that mistake kind of define us, and it keeps us from risking what God has for us right where we are. So if you're listening to me and you've made a mistake, that mistake has created a consequence in your life, don't obsess over the mistake. Start focusing on God's future, just like Paul is. You know, God is not actively working in your past, but the Bible says that he is actively working in your present, right where you are, no matter where you are, and toward your future. And that's what Paul is getting getting at. He's defined not by his past, but by his next choice. So let me ask you directly, what is your next choice in this waiting period while you're waiting for something or someone, right, to unfold or change? What's your next choice? Are you going to focus on God's presence and purpose in your present and the future that he's guiding you toward? Or are you going to think about what you didn't do or did in the past, right? The Bible says this, you got to let that go and you got to look up and look ahead, right? Listen to what it says in Isaiah chapter 43, verses 18 and 19. And this is the voice of the Lord. And let this speak to you. God says, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. And if you walk that passage back, where is God at work? In the wilderness and in the wasteland. Some of you feel right now like you're in the wilderness or you're like in this wasteland of your own making. Or maybe it just happened to you and it feels like a wilderness and a wasteland. And God wants you to perceive what he's up to. He wants you to sense what he's up to, that in the midst of that wilderness and that wasteland, he's going to do a new thing. Paul rebounded in prison and wrote four prison epistles that have changed billions of people. Paul perceived that. He sensed that. But he had to let go of the past and not dwell on it. Notice that he didn't say, for, forget, God, you notice that God didn't say, um, you got to forget about it completely. He just said, don't dwell on it. 
right? Don't dwell on the past. Because if we do that, we can't focus on God's presence and purpose in the present and lead us to this new future that he has. So I want you to know, man of God, that God is present with you. Doesn't matter whether you're on top of the game and riding the wave of success or you're in the pit, God is with you. And in both places, he's doing a new thing. God is not static, God is active. He is the creator and he is advancing his purposes on earth in your life. Become aware of that right now. Just say, God, all right, I get it. I'm aware and I want it. That's all you have to say. Take a step of faith, all right? So keep advancing spiritually, no matter what's going on in your life. Keep focusing on God's future while you wait, all right? And then third, you gotta resolve to keep pursuing maturity, all right? Do you ever notice that when you're forced to wait, you'll either regress in your maturity, get antsy, get impatient, get immature, like Paul, run ahead, be stubborn, or you can progress in your spiritual maturity and inner maturity, and you can persevere, and you can seek God, and you can trust God, and you can obey God, and keep doing the right thing under that pressure of a lack of a solution just now, right? And Paul, one of the shifts that happens when he makes that bad decision, finds himself in prison, he's like, you know what? I'm here, but I gotta keep pursuing maturity. Look at, we're just gonna go right to the next set of verses. We're gonna now move to Philippians 3, 15 and 16, as he's saying, hey, I'm advancing spiritually. I'm focusing on God's future. I'm gonna keep pursuing maturity. Listen to what he says. All of us, then, who are mature, should take such a view of things, and if on some point you think differently, that too, God will make clear to you. Listen to what he says. Only let us live up to what we have already attained, right? So Paul is, is saying, okay, Philippians, I'm in a prison. I'm separated from you. I would really love to see you. I can't. We're both waiting for a moment, maybe when we can, when, can see each other, but you gotta keep advancing spiritually, you gotta keep focusing on God's future, and you gotta keep growing more mature in the Lord. And when he says, only let us live up to what we've already obtained, what's he saying? Now you know. I've told you, you know what the process is that I'm in, and the process that I'm in is the process that you should be in, and now ignorance isn't an excuse. Bummer. Now you know. And here's the, the point that Paul is making when he encourages them to keep pursuing maturity, all right? What we don't know can never be an excuse for not fulfilling what we do know. What we don't know can never be the excuse for not fulfilling what we do know. Right? Look at what it says here in James chapter 1, verse 4 on this point. Uh, it says this, Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So you see that you don't have to persevere unless you have to wait. Waiting is the context of persevering. And persevering is the context of maturing. You walk back that passage and it says, okay, you wanna be mature and complete? Then you gotta let perseverance finish its work. See how that works? Waiting is the context of persevering. Persevering is the context of maturing. So guess what? All of us are in the process of persevering in the Lord, 
We got to resolve to wait on the Lord. What does that look like? We're going to keep seeking, keep trusting, keep obeying God. And as we do that, while he's got the future and he's got charge of what's next, we're going to get more mature in this process. I love this passage from Colossians chapter four. Paul's talking about this guy. His name is Epaphras and Epaphras is is well known in, in Paul's circle of friends as just being a super committed man of God who loves people. And Paul is telling the Colossians about Epaphras and what Epaphras wants for these believers. And this is what I want for you. Paul says this, Epaphras, who is one of you, and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends his greetings. And here's how Paul describes Epaphras's heart for the believers in his life. He is always wrestling in prayer for you that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. You see, Epaphras knows that Christians are gonna be put in God's waiting room. He knows they're gonna have to persevere. So he's praying for them that they will stand firm in all the will of God, which means they won't compromise while they have to wait, mature and fully assured. Now, if I put myself in that passage, I am one of you, and I'm a servant of Christ Jesus. And you know what my desire is for you in this second? Is that you would stand firm in all the will of God. Not some of the will of God, not 90% of the will of God, but all the will of God. And God's probably prompting many of you in an area like, hey, I want you to stand, not just in these areas where you're already standing, but I want you to stand in this area. There's a compartment of your life where you need to stand firm. And if you choose to stand firm in that area, there's gonna be an advance of spiritual maturity in your life. See, God's calling you to stand in the middle of the wasteland, in the middle of the wilderness, and in the middle of your weight for the next chapter to unfold, all right? So, while you're waiting, keep advancing spiritually. While you're waiting, focus on God's future. Don't obsess about failure. Keep pursuing maturity. And then fourth, keep rallying around the right men. What I love about Paul's coaching up of believers is that he always points them to the fact that you cannot experience God's fullest purposes for your life in isolation or disconnected from the body of Christ. And listen to what he says as we just kind of roll the next tape. This is another shift in perspective and he's trying to, to tell them what God's telling him while he's waiting. He says this to the Philippian believers. He says, join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For, as I have often told you before, and now I tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things versus eternal things. So you see Paul going, hey, we gotta get together. We need community. We need mentors. We need models, we need messengers, we need accountability as men of God so that we can have the mindset that is not earthly while we're here on earth or cultural 
are going with the flow of what's going out there. We need the mindset that is eternal. I love this passage. Keep your eyes on those. You can't keep your eyes on those who live out their identity as a man of God and put their energy into their identity as a man of God and who have an expression as a man of God. You can't keep your eyes on them unless you're connected with them. That's why we're doing this. That's why we're together, right? That's why we're saying, hey, follow this example of the Apostle Paul. Follow my example, all right, my brothers, right? You have each other as a model. You have me as a model. Let's keep our eyes on each other because there's a whole other way of doing masculinity and manhood that is all about impulse and self-gratification and people actually getting excited about that as men, serving themselves and gratifying themselves and being self-important. That's one way to do it, but that mindset is not ours. Ours is eternal, right? So we're going to camp on this a little bit, keep rallying around the right men. Look at uh, your notes in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 22, uh, it talks about kind of the importance of why we got to do it together. It says this, flee the evil desires of youth, all right, there's one command, and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Now say this with me, along with those who call on the Lord. Okay, do you see that? There's a, there's a yes and there's a no, there's a stopping and there's a starting, all right? What's going on in this passage, all right? We say no to evil and we say yes to God together, all right? There's a decision that we make together. We say no to evil, flee evil. Pursue, right, righteousness, faith, love, and peace. Well, by myself, no, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. So guys, that's why we have to rally around the right men. We say no to evil together, all right? There's power in numbers. And our no is a yes to God, right? We say yes to God together. That's why we're here. Can I ask you a question? Who is saying no to evil and saying yes to God with you on a regular basis that you can see and that you connect with? Let's let the paint dry on that. Do you have other men that you're in community with that rally around you, that you rally together with, and you're, you're in agreement? You're like, hey, you know what? I'm not perfect, I make mistakes, but guess what? With you, as my posse, as my team, as my tribe, we're saying no to evil and we're saying yes to God. You know, That's what the world needs. The world needs pockets of men who encourage each other to say no to evil and say yes to God. How much in our world would change if we had hundreds of millions of men's communities that were saying no to evil and say yes to God, give me an amen, because that will change the world, All right? Now, there's one more verse related to Paul and his group of men that he rallied around, all right? Before this moment where he's in prison, he had a group of guys that he rallied around, all right? We read about it in Acts chapter 13. Listen to this situation, all right? It's the first Christian church, it's in Antioch, and they have a men's group. If you pastors out there, you gotta listen up to this, 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 this passage of scripture. Listen to what it says. The congregation in Antioch was blessed with a number of prophet preachers and teachers, Barnabas, Simon, nicknamed Niger, Lucius, the Cyrenian, Menaean, an advisor to the ruler, Herod and Saul. One day, as they were worshiping God, they were also fasting as they waited 
for guidance. The Holy Spirit spoke. Take Barnabas and Saul and commission them for the work I have called them to do. What do we see? We see a church. We see a men's group in a church. We see men who are physically there, emotionally there, and spiritually there. What happens? The Holy Spirit, God himself, speaks into that gathering of men, and now they're going to go take on some missions of God together. Now, God asks for a couple of those guys, and the rest of them are supposed to commission the couple that God calls out to go get them. Who does he call? Barnabas and Saul. What's their commission? Oh, reach every Gentile in the known world. Wow. Big things happen when men of faith rally around other men of faith. It reminds me of Psalm 133, not in your notes. Behold how good and pleasant it is when, when God's men come together in unity. And then it says at the end of that Psalm, for there the Lord commands his blessing. You know what, guys? I know I'm talking to many of you who are not connected, who are not connected to uh, an everyman group or a dangerous good group or a fellowship, all right? You're missing out on the blessing of the Lord by not coming around and connecting with other men. All of this amazing stuff happens in a local church in the context of a men's meeting. How many of you want to hear the Holy Spirit speak directly to you? All right. That happens in the context of believers gathering, specifically in this example, a men's group. All right. So you got to advance spiritually while you're waiting. You got to focus on God's future. You got to keep on getting mature, pursue maturity, and you got to rally around some other men that are with you seeking the Lord and waiting on the Lord's guidance. Just like this men's group in the first church at Antioch, what can happen? The Spirit of God falls on that group of men, speaks directly God's will, and direction is taken, and men are commissioned. Wow. You know what our culture needs right now? Men who are doing this. Men who are gathering, seeking the Lord, hearing from the Holy Spirit, getting guidance from the Lord, and then saying, all right, you and you, you got to go help out at that food pantry. You and you, you got to go uh, help out at that home for 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 home, for uh, orphaned kids. You and you, you got to go show up and, 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 and help meet that need right there. All right, you got to help this single mom. You got to rally and fix that thing. See, guys getting together, when, when guys of faith, when men of faith come together and they seek the Lord, wow. I know God's speaking right now to a group out there right now. And one of you in that group has a commission from God that you need to share with your guys. And those guys need to send you, because the Holy Spirit has spoken, to go do something dangerous and good in your community. You know who you are. And you other men, when that man speaks up after we're done with this broadcast, you're gonna commission him, you're gonna tell him to go do it, you're gonna support him in every way. You see, that's how the Lord works. The Holy Spirit is speaking right now. He's moving. God has an active purpose and plan. Let's look at the last thing that Paul focuses on while he's waiting. He keeps anticipating his moment with Jesus. So he's spiritually advancing in prison. He's focusing on God's future in prison. He's pursuing maturity in prison. He is encouraging people to rally around each other who are separated from him and also waiting. And then Paul's anticipating his moment with Jesus. Let's go just to the next set of verses, Philippians 3, 20 and 21. He says this to his fellow believers, and God is saying this through me to you, receive it. 
but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there. The Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Wow. You know what happens when you have a strong hope like that? When you have a strong hope, you discipline yourself in the present to move toward your hope. If you're a guy and you hope to date a woman that you admire and like, you're gonna discipline yourself to ask, show up, take her out on a date. Why? Because you have a strong hope. If you're watching me right now and getting ready to go to work and you have a bonus that you can get to that will give you a little extra cash at the end of the month, you are going to discipline yourself and make the calls you need to make and show up and talk to the clients you have to, to see. Why? Because your hope is to get that, that bonus. Hope drives discipline, right? This is what Paul is saying. He has a strong hope. Jesus is gonna come from heaven to earth, or we're gonna go from earth to heaven. We're gonna have a moment with Jesus. It's a moment of connection. It's a moment of salvation. It's a moment of transformation. It's a moment of glorification and culmination unlike any other moment in your entire eternal existence. And Paul focuses on that while he's in prison because that's pulling him forward. His hope is driving his discipline in the present to advance spiritually and focus on God's future and pursue maturity and, and to rally people around other men. Look at what it says in Titus 2, 12 and 13. Around this topic of anticipating your moment with Jesus, it says this in the Bible, in Titus chapter 2, we, we should live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God while we look forward with hope to that wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be revealed. You see the connection? between our living and our strongest hope. Our strongest hope drives our strongest living. We're gonna live in this world with wisdom and righteousness and devotion to God while we wait. Get the picture? We're waiting. Ultimately, all believers are waiting for that moment. That's one moment that we're waiting for. And we need to resolve to wait with wisdom wait with righteousness and live righteously and wait for that moment with Jesus by being devoted to God. Wow, powerful stuff. So let me ask you, is the God that you believe in, is he majestic? Is the God that you believe in, does he have authority? Is the God that you believe in, is he wise? Is the God that you believe in in control of everything in your life and is he generous and if he is, and you're waiting for something to happen in your life, please, in the name of Jesus, shift the load onto him. Begin to shift your perspective, right? Stop being prideful and self-sufficient and start being humble and God-dependent in the situation you're in today in the second. And then just take the advice 
and modeling of a God's man who made a really bad decision that put him into God's waiting room, but in God's waiting room, he got a new vision. So there was a bad decision, there was a hard lesson, but now there was a new vision and God is speaking and he's giving you a new vision. And his vision for you is for you to know Christ, know power, and become like Jesus. His vision for you is to focus on his purpose right now and the future that he's taking you to. His vision for you is of a new you out of this situation, this waiting time, where you persevere, and in the context of persevering in Christ and in your faith, you're gonna get mature and you'll transform. His vision for you is to get a new community of men around you. You gotta, have, you gotta be in community, guys. That's what this is all about. The world needs us to be in community. And then for all of us, it doesn't matter whether you're riding the wave of success or you're down in the pit, we're all waiting for a moment and it's with Jesus, it's a powerful moment. And so we're gonna put down our pencils, we are going to pray, and we're gonna receive the commission of God. Lord, thank you this morning for all the men Maybe it's this afternoon or maybe it's this evening. I don't know when these men are listening uh, to your word. But God, we receive all of your word, Lord. There's no excuse for not fulfilling what we have just heard. Ignorance is not an excuse. And God, we receive your word. Lord, we want to advance spiritually. We want to know you, Jesus. We want to know the power of your resurrection. And we want to become like you while we're waiting for situations or waiting for your coming. Lord, we're gonna focus right now on your future and I declare God's future over every person, Lord, that there will be a shift mentally, emotionally, and spiritually of thinking onto God's future off the past and onto your future and your purpose right now. God, I thank you that your Holy Spirit is inside of every believer to bring about maturity. God, your word says that when we were children, we acted like children, we reasoned like children, we talked like children, but when we became men, we put childish ways behind us. God, thank you for all the challenges that are in our lives that are maturing us and turning us into new men. And Lord, thank you for community. Thank you that you've given us other men that identify with us and together in community, we can say no to evil and say yes to God together. I pray for men who are being prompted right now to start a men's group. They know four or five friends. They need to get together and rally around some good men and they need to tell them that together he needs people in his life so that he can say no to evil and say yes to God. And then Lord, thank you for the personal moment, the powerful moment, and above all, the permanent moment of encounter with you when we step out of earth and into eternity. And Lord, we're looking forward to that. But until that moment comes, God, let the hope of that moment drive our discipline and energy and expression today and every day until we see you face to face. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I hope that the Lord touched your heart right now. And if he did, and if he gave you some action steps to take as a result of the study, Take them, and we'll see you next week. Men, if you call every man your home for getting in, getting healthy, getting strong, and getting going, then we have a special ask for you. We need men like you to stand in the gap with us as we take back territory for God's kingdom with our new giving campaign. We're calling it the 12 for 12 giving campaign. And all it takes is $12 a month for 12 months. Now your commitment and donation will help us reach our 20 city goal with our Dangerous Good Conference in 2021. 
and we can't do this without your support. Now, if you haven't noticed, every man is on the move and we've been able to build an army of strong men that are choosing Jesus over the world. You know why? That's because of people like you that help our ministry thrive, especially in these difficult times. So, will you join us and commit to donating $12 for 12 months? Every dollar equals change, not only in the men, but also change for the women, children, and communities connected to these men. Thank you in advance for your support and God bless.